Welcome back to the Missouri Chamber Catholic Chat. I'm your host, Philip Arnzen. And this week, we have a very special guest. We are joined by Pat Thomas, who is the Chief of Staff for the Senate Appropriations Chair, Lincoln Huff. She is also in the past won our Legislative Staffer of the Year Award. And then Lincoln Huff, who she works for, has also been an awardee of the Chamber multiple times. So they are both great folks that we work with almost daily in the Capitol. And we are really excited to have Pat join us today. Thanks for having me this morning. This is Pat Thomas. I've been in the Capitol for about 14 years and worked for two different senators, Munslinger from the Great Northeast and now Senator Lincoln Huff from the city of Springfield. Very different personalities, but both approach accomplishing things in the Capitol. They leave the politics outside the building, which is kind of nice. Recently joined the Jefferson City Parks Board as a citizen commissioner, which I'm enjoying. So is it like the show Parks and Rec? Whenever you've got random citizens coming in and you have to wonder, why are they, why are people like this? Yeah, well, it is interesting. There's a lot of, lot of uses for parks that I'm, I'm finding out. And we're a pretty diversified city. And that budget alone is about $7 million. My husband and I have made Jeff City home for quite a while now. And in the last seven months, I've added the name Lolly to my list. So when things get a little rough in the Capitol, I just pull up a picture or FaceTime a certain little girl and life certainly seems to be a little smoother. So thanks for having me today. Thank you for joining. And we also have my colleagues, Heidi Geisbuehler-Sutherland. Good morning. And Kara Corches. Good morning. And thanks, Pat, for joining us. Thank you, Pat, for joining us. Pat has a wealth of knowledge from the building and a 14-year tenure in the Missouri Senate is rare in the era of term limits. So we are very thankful that she was able to join us today on the podcast. If you've been paying attention, the legislature has been running a little more slowly than most years. Uh, it's a diplomatic way of saying what's going on down there. But one of the things that we found out the last couple of weeks is the governor's recommendation on the budget. So the way that the process works as a refresher is the governor makes his budget recommendations and then the House budget chair files the bills with the governor's recommendations. And then the House budget chair will then make their changes to the budget, go through the House process, send it over to the Senate. And then the Senate appropriations chair will make their recommendations and their changes in their committee. And then it will go to the Senate floor. And then once they pass it out of the Senate, then the House and the Senate will get together and figure out how to kind of reconcile the differences in each budget. And so that's just kind of the quick refresh on how the budget process works. There's obviously a lot more details to go into it, but that's a high-level overview. So we thought we'd bring on Pat for the podcast to kind of go over a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens in the budget and really go into what the legislature, um, how they make the budget and craft it. So one of the things that we always look forward to in usually December or early January is called the Consensus Revenue Estimate which is the legislature and the governor getting together to determine how much revenue the state's going to bring in. I mean, do you have any insight in kind of what it's going to look like next year? And then kind of the, the senator's thoughts on the, the CRE for this year. So the interesting thing about CRE being developed is that people think that it's some big political huddle. And actually, it's the budget office, and it's the House budget office and the Senate appropriations office chiefs. There's no politicians in the room who devise what this number is going to look like and whether or not we need to oh. revise the current budget number up or down. They've kind of sent forward the number they come up with, and then we accept or we fight that number among the political sides. So it's kind of interesting. This year's number, we're looking at a consensus revenue for Missouri for a general revenue fund of about $13.16 billion, which is basically flat. So what we as a business, which government is a business, and you all understand, is that our revenues are going to be flat coming in, 
and our expenses are going up. Then part of the reason revenues are flat is because we did do a billion dollar tax cut last year. And the first of those triggers is kicking in this year. We also, Senator Luke Tamayer led the charge on seniors and the way that those are gonna be taxed as far as social security and property tax and things like that. So we're waiting to see how all of that plays out. But so we do have a CRE of about $13.16 billion and a current inflation rate of about 3.4% quick question because I know it's come up that 13 billion dollar total is that also including money coming in from the federal government no the 13 billion is just Missouri general revenue so we have pots of money that are basically like three pots and it used to be that it ran about a third a third and a third for the total budget which would mean if our CRE is about 13 billion we'd be at roughly 39 to 41 billion dollars total all in but this year's total budget is about 52 billion all in but that's because what we've seen over the last 5 years since the pandemic is that we've been dealing with those federal dollars and while there's not any current big pools of federal dollars coming in, they're still rotating their way through our system as it takes to get those projects online and out the door. For some people, they can't seem to grasp the fact that that number then is kind of overinflated because it's money that's been appropriated once, and then we have to reappropriate it in order to finish those projects. So we're actually not dealing with a 52 the $52 billion includes reappropriated money that's been in the budget before. So yeah, now we're running somewhere around 45% federal dollars. And that's an important context because I know that's something we've been talking about with our local chambers and our members that we don't have this new stream of federal dollars, whether it's ARPA or CARES Act, where it seemed like the federal government was just raining down new monies on the state. So what are those? You mentioned there's really three pots of money. So you've got the GR is one, and then what are the other two pots? So GR is one, federal, and then other. And those are just small funds that make up lots of different, whether it be interest or different things that get pulled in into one, one pot that's just always titled other funds. Okay. And then one thing to note on the federal funds is some of that is purely pass-through funds, and then that the state just has to appropriate. And then some of it, the state has a little bit of leeway in what they can do with it, but it still has to go to a certain purpose. So GR is the only money that the state has that they can really do whatever they want with it. That doesn't have any sort of obligation of where it's spent. 100% correct. And um, some of our, you call them pass-through dollars, those actually come with an administrative cost to the side. Like if we're going to draw down some of those federal accounts, we actually have to put in 5% of GR. Our match is like 5%, 10%, 15%. So... That's where some of our GR comes into play for some of that. And then what Governor Parson and his team were really great at doing was looking at those pools of federal dollars that were coming down just after the pandemic and into early last year and figuring out where that actually fit Missouri's budget. And if we had projects, so everybody looks at projects, no one's really focusing on programs because projects are things we can do with good one-time funds, whereas programs tend to have ongoing consistent expenses and expenses tend to increase. So we've been looking at a lot of projects and they were really great at looking at those projects and saying, look, that's been on our kind of wish list for a while. We can do it with these federal dollars. And then the general revenue that we thought we were going to need to spend, we can spend in a different place. Mm -hmm. And so some of that they've saved, they've pooled, and that's how we were able to do I-70. Good to hear. And then, so during this process, you've got with mostly the GR funding, whenever the budget gets over to the Senate, as with the Senate, you have to work with every senator because any one senator can stand up and just stop a bill for as long as they can keep standing. And as we've seen, if you have multiple senators willing to do that, you can basically bring session to a halt. 
So how does Senator Huff work with all of the other senators to make sure that he creates a budget that's able to get through the Senate without anybody kind of standing in the way or making it as least dramatic as possible? Well, so there's a couple of things traditionally done in the Senate. One is appropriations has the largest committee, which is 13 out of the 34 members are currently serving. So you get a lot of input while you're in committee. We have pretty much an open door policy for our office. If any senator shows up, they pretty much come straight through depending on who's in a meeting with the senator so that they can have concerns. They can bring up a project or something for their district, things like that, so that we can move this process forward. The Senate also has a tradition of not doing amendments on the floor. Because if you've been in budget hearings, our budget hearings are two to three hours, Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and on occasion a Monday afternoon. Those 13 members that have invested that kind of time have a really great knowledge of what's in that those books and what they're being used for. We go through them department by department. Departments go line by line. We know where they've asked for increases. We know where the governors told them no. We know if it was a project they thought was still important, if they're trying to find other funds. We know if it's a project that started as federal dollars and they want to keep it with state dollars. So I think having that detailed look by 13 people where our friends on the other end of the building divide those into subcommittees. So subcommittees get that information, but maybe something gets lost for the overall whole committee. So I, I think it's a big difference in the way appropriations is handled. I also think last year, Senator Huff met with them in small groups as we got close to the end and said, look, this is what we're getting from the House. What's the deep dive here? And is are these projects that you're willing to go to the mat floor on the floor? And he's told them that again this year, like, if you want something in this budget, you're going to have to be willing to stand and say why we're spending this money. That's a good methodology to use. That way people have to really be able to make a case for the funding that they're asking for. Yeah. And then another is a you know refresher. The budget is the only thing that they are constitutionally required to do every year in the legislature. And it is always required by the Constitution to be sent to the governor the Friday before the last day of session. So that's usually the first or second Friday in May is whenever the budget is constitutionally required to be passed by the legislature. So that, you know, the appropriations chair does have a, a little bit more pressure that they can use on, uh, you know, senators to say, look, we have to get this done. Because if not, then the governor has to call a special session, at which point they may be working on the budget past regular session, and nobody wants to have to interrupt their vacations to do that. So. 100%. So, so we know we talk about budget all of the time with you because that's your main focus, but in the arena that encompasses all legislation, does Senator Huff and your office have any other priorities that are beyond appropriations? Or are you 100% dialed in on the appropriations process? Well, so 90% dialed in on the budget because that is where you can really have a vision for how the citizens of Missouri are impacted, whether it's infrastructure, workforce development, job training, veterans issues, senior centers, feeding people meals on wheels, all of those things. So he's really dialed into the budget issues. You know, we have a few other things that he's always passionate about. He's always passionate about taking care of our first responders from cancer issues to PTSD. This year, we have the FRA, which for some people is the federal reimbursement allowance started under Governor Ashcroft, been renewed about 16 times. And we just need another renewal of this process. For some reason, there are groups that like to politically hijack this bill, and all it is is a continuation of a service that is currently working that helps keep about 25,000 people in nursing homes 
and our rural hospitals open and prescriptions going out the door. So the political hijacking is very dangerous because this is about a $1.1 billion way that our hospitals, pharmacies, and providers help turn into about $4.2 billion from the federal government. And so I did some quick numbers. And if for some reason we were unable to pass the FRA, or it becomes encumbered and then gets struck down in court because we know the courts are getting pickier. There are four departments in our state that make up $9.2 billion. And those are DESE, higher education, mental health, and social services. One thing to note on this is if the FRA is not renewed, that $4.3 billion is going to have to come from the $13 billion in general revenue. Correct. So I guess as a quick reminder that, you know, that $50 billion budget Really, only $13 billion of that the legislature is able to, again, freely appropriate. Correct. And so that would actually mean a haircut of 50% of general revenue for each of those departments. So again, that's DESE, Higher Education and Workforce Development for all of you businesses out there, Social Services, and Mental Health. Now, the interesting thing we hear from some of our people inside the vacuum of Jefferson City is, oh, we'll just call us back and we'll do it in a special because it the sunset is September 30th because it follows the federal calendar. Well, the problem with that is those cuts actually have to happen. July 1, the governor will take a pen to half of every one of those departments. It's a great point because the fiscal year ends well before a special session could theoretically occur for that issue. Right. And the difference is the difference between the state calendar of July 1 and the federal calendar of October 1. And so I think some people... I'd like to think they get lost in that information. I'm afraid they're just choosing to ignore it. It does seem more and more like the FRA becomes a political football for people who want to push other aspects of their agenda that are not at all related to the budget. Well, and they've been struck down in court. And so they're looking for a spot to do that, but then they choose to ignore the latest legislative strike down, which was on a Hammerschmidt issue, which you know we have to be very careful because the FRA bill is strictly a federal reimbursement allowance bill. It doesn't go into providers. Providers are somewhere else. They're a different section. It needs to be a different bill in our opinion. And from what the courts have told us before, that they specifically recommended a chapter in a court case in 2020 to put that provider language in, and it's not the same chapter. So, you know, as Pat had mentioned, the general revenue funded departments, you know, the chamber and the business community have priorities, have important programs in every one of those departments that we want to make sure can continue, whether it is education or training or resources for public safety, all of them will be impacted if the FRA is not renewed. And in the past, it has been an easier process, but then we've had a few senators decide that they want to try to, as Heidi had mentioned, use some ancillary priorities to try to stop the FRA and leverage some things. And we just think that is a dangerous game to use when you're dealing with $4.3 billion that they're going to impact almost every single Missourian. And we're, we're going to feel that the business community, families, all Missourians are going to feel that. So it's something that is definitely a priority. I and mean, we wanted, I know we've mentioned it before. That's one of the reasons we wanted to bring in Pat is that with her budget experience, she would be able to really drill down into the specifics of this is what happens if you don't do it. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Pat. Thank you. So. Enjoyed it. Well, thank Come you. by and visit us in the Capitol. All right. Well, it's really great hearing from Pat. Again, she's a wealth of knowledge. Missouri should be very thankful that, that Pat has continued her service in the Senate and kept her knowledge there. 
As we've mentioned a few times, the Senate has a lot of dysfunction that's going on. I know in the past, we've mentioned the Conservative Caucus on this podcast. They have now morphed into what's called the Freedom Caucus, which they're actually a chapter of the U.S. Freedom Caucus in Washington, D.C. that was kind of led by Matt Gates that helped oust McCarthy as Speaker. So this is Missouri's version of that. And they are doing the same thing that the D.C. folks are doing in that they are causing dysfunction. They are not letting any legislation go through. They're doing things like whenever they bring the journal up to approve, which normally is just a, you know, everybody just sits down and lets it go through. It's standard process. They stand up on that and they block the process so that you can't even do things like getting the journal done. And, and uh, to explain, because I know we're really, you know, in the Jefferson City mm -hmm. loop here, approving the journal essentially just means approving the minutes from the day before. Yeah. And they're also, to take it a step further, they're also calling on President Pro Tem Caleb Rowden and Majority Floor Leader Cindy O'Loughlin to resign. Again, very similar to the D.C. group. And so we support Senator Rowden and Senator O'Loughlin. And the only thing they're doing is just causing chaos. There's not really a legislative agenda that they're pushing. It's purely just to create chaos and create headlines. And it's causing a lot of dysfunction and it's causing a, a lot of folks in the building to get frustrated. But there is a bright spot. Kara, why don't you tell us about some of the successes that we've had with our number one priority, child care tax credits? Absolutely. So we're talking to you after a great vote on the House floor, HB 1488. And this is led by Representative Brenda Shields, who is a fierce advocate for early childhood education and pro-business policies. This is a child care tax credit package that we have talked about last year, as well as this year again. This provides three different new tax credit programs that will help ultimately increase capacity in our child care infrastructure, as well as help businesses support their employees' child care needs. Great package, really well thought out. The governor highlighted it in his State of the State address as well, and it passed out of the House on Thursday, February 8th with a 113 to 39 vote count. So that's a very strong vote count, very bipartisan, which is a bright spot in this kind of crazy political world right now that child care is bringing together Republicans, Democrats, business leaders, child care advocacy groups, individual businesses, religious groups, even some pro-life groups working together as a coalition to say this is important. We want to make sure that we increase our child care infrastructure and capacity to help working families, to help those individuals join or rejoin the workforce and ultimately have more safe, affordable, and high-quality places that working parents can leave their children. This is good for the economy. We know that in one year alone, Missouri loses out to over $1.35 billion in economic loss, including tax revenue loss, indirect economic losses to businesses as well. And this bill pays for itself. When we help people go back to work, our economy grows. So we think this is very common sense. We are thrilled to see this pass. Again, greatly, greatly appreciate the leadership of Representative Brenda Shields, Floor Leader John Patterson, and Speaker Plocker for moving this priority early. Again, the second bill out of the House, which I think sends a signal. This is important not only to the governor, but to the House as well. So we are hoping that when the Senate starts getting through bills, that this can also move through the Senate quickly as well. Also, kudos to the House for moving a lot of our other priorities, including court reform. We've already had a hearing on statute of limitations in the House. That didn't occur until well after spring break last year. 
We've also had hearings on a few of our other priorities, including our new legislation that deals with workers' compensation mm -hmm. and marijuana. We're also happy that the House has been moving public safety. Um, we've had hearings in, in multiple House committees on public safety legislation. The Senate committees have also heard some public safety bills as well, along with expungement, which does lump into our public safety package. And so we're, we're very happy to see those getting early hearings in both the House and the Senate. And again, hopefully uh, when the Senate kind of breaks through and starts moving stuff, we hope that those can be part of the bills that get through. Yep. And our, I guess, request to our businesses out there listening is please give your legislators some encouragement right now, especially ones, you know, that you are close to, that you know are business champions, because it is a tough environment to operate in when you see a bill moving on the House side and then it looks kind of more doom and gloom on the Senate. That's a hard environment to work in every day. So please give your legislators some encouragement and especially all of the yes votes, all of the individuals in the House who voted yes on the House floor on the child care tax credit package, please thank them and remind them just how important this is to our state's economy, to businesses, and to working families. Applaud them, send them a note. I think they would really appreciate that. We are so thankful for all of the legislators who have been really supportive of our priorities this year and really helpful on bills that even we might disagree on. We've had only good meetings this year. Well, appreciate everybody taking the time out of their day to listen to the Missouri Chamber Capital Chat. And until next time, your host, Philip Arnzen. Hi, do you guys feel Sutherland? And Kara Corches. All right. Thanks, everyone.